Hi everyone, thanks so much for joining us. Before we dive into the episode, just as a warning, this episode is going to contain discussion of cissexist and ableist themes. If that's something that you're not interested in, please feel free to skip this one and join us next time. There is a library that exists at the nexus where all other universes collide. Inevitably, things wind up there by mistake. Books, artifacts, people. This is the place where things from all universes end up when they get lost. This is the Eternity Archives. And welcome to the Eternity Archives, an actual play tabletop RPG podcast where we step into the role of archivists working for an interdimensional library. My name is Ziva, my pronouns are she, her, and I usually play Linda, the adorable human office lady. But for this arc, Linda will be anchoring for her fellow archivists in the world of the Wheel of Time role-playing game. If you don't know anything about Wheel of Time, don't worry, there's plenty of discussion to follow. For now, all you need to know is that we're about to dive into some classic swords and sorcery gameplay. Speaking of sorcery, if I could have any magical power, it would be the power to teleport. Uh, Not to be a basic bitch, but I really (laughs) love to travel, Uh, except for the part where I have to get on a plane to do it, because going on a plane is literally one of the worst human experiences. Especially now. (laughs) Yeah, God, especially right now. So teleporting then would be a great magic power because it would make traveling way better, not to mention way cheaper. So if I could have any magic power, that's the power I would have. My name is Bappy. My pronouns are they, them. Uh, If I could have any magical power. um, So I was actually laying in bed trying to think about this. And I was like, I don't know the magical power to be uh, a functioning human adult. (laughs) Right. Am I right, boys? Got them. But that's boring. Uh, And I also don't want to say travel because that's copying. And uh, if I'm copying someone who is quote unquote a basic bitch, I think that makes me the actual basic bitch. Um, Not that people who like to travel are basic bitches. We are though. Uh, Yeah, I mean, yeah, I kind of am, I think. (laughs) My name's Siva and I love to travel. (laughs) (laughs) I went to India to really find myself. (laughs) Um, Maybe talk with animals. I think that'd be pretty cool. Oh, that'd be sick. I'd love to talk to animals. You know, with my cat, um, she was kind of an asshole. Like, I love her. But she was an asshole, and I wish I could have asked her at, at times, like, what, why do you keep peeing on things? I don't know what you want from me. <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> um, so that would have been a good move to have. <laughs> uh, so hi, I'm Dorka. My pronouns are she, her. I play Zen, the big buff lizard lady. If I could have any magical power, it's, I, I guess, in a similar vein, but I would want the power to turn into animals fucking furry (laughs) furry no it's not in a furry way it's just in (laughs) look i read way too much animorphs as a kid and possibly also as an adult and look (laughs) don't you don't you ever just want to like jump in the ocean and turn into a dolphin is that just me that can't just be me I don't think it's just you, but I think you need to understand that that's because you're kind of a furry. Like, I I think (laughs) at the base level, everyone is a little bit of a furry. It's just that, you know, because turning into an animal would be dope as shit. Just like being able to turn into a bird and fly or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But that's because at heart, 
every one of us, especially our generation, where we grew up with like Disney movies and like you said, animorphs and uh, whatever like furry ass shit we grew up with in media, My Little Pony, all that shit. It's because it awakened in all of us a furry, a little furry seed. And some of us have grown into big furry California oaks, red oaks. Uh, some <laughs> of us are still just, you know, little uh, furry cactuses or maybe a little furry succulents. But, you know, you just have to acknowledge that. It's Please because don't you're kind say of furry. furry succulents. <laughs> I can't believe I'm being called out like this for <laughs> all of our listeners. Yeah, sorry. It's just, this is what happens when you've known each other for, uh... You already said monster fucker on this podcast. This yeah, that was like the first episode. Really yeah, that was day one. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we have all dragged Orca, let's go ahead and talk about the game that we're going to be playing. Hold on. I do want to need to drag her one more time. <laughs> you said that it's because you're not a furry? Your character is literally a lizard woman. I don't know how to respond to that. You literally play an animal person. You are the one person who plays an animal person on this podcast. Like, Rill has, like, ram horns and, like, a tail and, like, uh, occasionally wings and stuff. But you're the only one who plays an actual animal. (laughs) Okay, that is very rude. I don't think Zen would appreciate being called a literal animal. Sorry, I apologize, Zen. Uh, but I don't apologize to Dorka. Anyway, I do apologize to Ziva as well for interrupting you. Please carry on. No, that was very important. So the game that we are going to be playing for this arc, as I said, is the Wheel of Time role-playing game based on the Wheel of Time series by Robert Jordan. I will talk a little bit more about some specifics about Wheel of Time and what, what makes it special and interesting. But if you want to skip straight to character creation, go ahead to 4040. Or if you want to go ahead and skip straight to the roleplay, you can skip ahead to 5530. For now, what you need to know is that um, this is a licensed Wizards of the Coast product. It is based on Dungeons & Dragons 3.0. It's not officially a Dungeons and Dragons module because when it was written, they do a lot of these like sort of like spinoff based on books. It was very popular to like license things out to wizards for them to make a kind of D&D. This one is, I think, particularly sweet because the reason that Wheel of Time was licensed to make this product was because uh, Robert Jordan played a lot of D&D with his son when he was growing up. And so he was really excited about the idea of someone making a D&D that like someone, a Wheel of Time fan could play with their kids, which I just think is really cute. So like I said, this is based on D&D 3.0, which we have not previously played on the show, which is why we're playing it now. Um, But there is also a fifth edition fan adaption of the system if you're interested. It's very easy to find on Reddit. It is, of course, not official. It's totally fan-made, but there's some really cool stuff out there for it. Why did we play that one? We've already played 5.0. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, we, we need to talk about 3.0 and 3.5. <laughs> I do have to say that if you are really interested in playing 3.0 or 3.5, um, this is probably not the ideal system to start with. Probably starting with the base system is a little more straightforward because um, this is definitely a case where prior knowledge helps. Um, The more you know about 3.0 and 3.5, the easier time you'll have learning how to play Wheel of Time. And of course, um, this system is mostly recommended for people who are fans of Wheel of Time or their friends who they keep making play the Wheel of Time game with them. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Yeah, uh, call out post again. Um, Because there's a lot of canon stuff in here that's a little overwhelming if you're not familiar with the universe. So uh, good news, um, rather than make your friends read all 15 books, there's going to be a TV show at some point so you can just make them watch the tv show and they'll be like that's cool play the wheel of time game with me but yeah this is definitely a case where prior knowledge of wheel of time helps and then between the time of you reading the books and also watching the entire series when it comes out will probably take about the same amount of time but you know (laughs) (laughs) that's probably true (laughs) 
Another thing about this is that this is a bit of an odd one. This is not typically what we would play on the podcast, but as we've mentioned before, um, this holds a special place, um, especially in my heart, but I think in all of our hearts, because this was one of the first systems that we played as a group. And I just I just really love it. I'm a, a long time Wheel of Time fan. But almost all my teenage years, I read Wheel of Time. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just a huge fan. But because this is an older kind of weirder system, there's almost no digital resources. And the book itself is out of print. Look, I'm not going to tell you to go and find a PDF of it on the internet because that's illegal. But there are PDFs maybe on the internet if this is a system that you're interested in. But there, it's true, there are no digital resources for it. There's no um, helpful Wheel of Time SRDs or um, official Wizards of the Coast provided fill-in PDF character sheets or other things like that. Uh, there's no like Roll20 campaign that's already pre-done and you just have all the macros pre-written and everything. Um, if this is one you're interested in, this is definitely something you're going to have to do by hand, which we will talk more about. So there are a lot of similarities between this system and the D&D that you know and love. Um, if you're familiar with D&D 5th edition, you'll hear a lot of familiar stuff in this arc. Um, but if you're not, I recommend that you listen to our first episode for a more thorough overview of D&D as a system. Uh, this discussion is mostly going to focus on wheel time specifically rather than serve as an in-depth point by point. So at this point, like I said, um, the reason that that I really wanted to play this on the show is because I'm a longtime Wheel of Time fan. And this is maybe one of the very first systems that I learned how to GM in. Um, what are y'all's experiences with the Wheel of Time game? Okay, well, <laughs> <laughs> I am as big of a Wheel of Time fan as Ziva is. Wheel of Time is very special to me. I've talked about it on the podcast before. It's y'all know this already. But um, it was my 13th birthday party. I had a whole bunch of friends over. Ziva was there. I didn't know Bappy yet. It was a sleepover party. And that night we rolled up characters and played the Wheel of Time RPG for the first time. And it was my first experience playing any tabletop game. I played a character actually kind of similar to the one I'll be playing today. And I think the key the key takeaway, the key memory from that game is at one point I was trying to heal Ziva's character, trying to do some first aid. I rolled a one and killed her instead. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, and we all rolled for drunkenness. We were 13. Yeah, we were we were baby teenage edgelords about it. Was this the thing we played? It was at Dorka and her partner's old apartment. And then Ziva, we had you on like a video call on a computer. Was that this game? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I do remember that. This is the one where uh, Ziva put us in a box to try and end the session. And we just kept it going. <laughs> yeah, uh, in retrospect, it definitely came across like solve my secret box puzzle instead of like, you're in a box with no windows and no doors. We're done for the stop. Uh, so for me, audience members, I, I feel like I am usually going to be like the audience stand in because I'm bad at reading uh, books. So usually if Ziva or Dork are like, we're gonna do this game, you should read the book. I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'll do some of that. <laughs> so uh, I will I will be the one asking questions on, on your behalf, audience members, as I know nothing about Wheel of Time, but kind of like, it's sort of like on Twitter when you have mutuals that you've known for like years and they are, they get into something that you have like no idea or, or interest in, but they tweet a lot about it. 
and just kind of like by osmosis or whatever you just kind of like yeah i i have a fondness for this thing i know nothing about and that's wheel of time because that's what happens when like your entire like irl friend group has like read the whole series and you've known them for like like 16 years or whatever so yeah uh i i faintly remember that spelling that one time um and i remember dorka made us uh like the Aes Sedai shawls for for your wedding was that right yes that is correct so yeah that is definitely one of my most cherished gifts slash possessions even though i know nothing about wheel of time but like you know so that's kind of what my stance on wheel of time is and the wheel of time rpg 3.0 sucks. That's kind of all. <laughs> we'll get in that later, but that's kind of all I have on that. <laughs> yeah, for, for reference, like, for our entire friendship, Bappy has had to deal with me and Ziva, like, writing parody scripts and making flash videos and doing weird <laughs> rituals. And, you know, Bappy's just kind of been along for the ride. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, like, reading the book, there were, like, terms where it was like, you know, w- once again, we'll get more into this, because, uh, spoiler, I'm playing a magic caster equivalent but words like uh tying off weaves or whatever the hell when i read these words it was like flashback to us in eighth grade and uh you guys having discussions slash arguments about like what people and characters could or whatever do and i just like remember (laughs) these words about like tying off weaves and i'm like i'd have a little bit more context as to what that means but (laughs) it's uh, a definitely like a time travel moment for me Yeah, getting getting pulled into a fandom that uh, you didn't join. <laughs> That's what friendship's all about, you guys. Bappy's being a very good sport about this episode. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Oh, well, I love you both, so. Oh, <laughs> we love you. This is the friendship episode. <laughs> <laughs> we were enemies prior. <laughs> See, they're all the friendship episode, but... Uh... This one does hold a special place in my heart. So now that we've gone over like our history with Wheel of Time, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about D&D history. Since we mostly talked about 5th edition on this podcast, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about what 3rd edition and 3.5 actually look like. We've mentioned it briefly that it tends to be a lot more complicated, but there's like there's stuff that is important for context. So first of all, 3.0 is from a team at Wizards of the Coast that included Jonathan Tweet, who's one of the people who then later went on to make 13th Age, um, as sort of a response to some of the stuff in 3.0 that um, you'll hear us complain about voraciously here in a minute. So that gives you a little context that that a lot of the stuff in 13th Age was specifically in response to a lot of the mechanics in 3rd edition. This was part of a major resurgence of Dungeons and Dragons in the late 90s. This is going to age me terribly, but for a long time, you could like walk into a Borders and buy a ton of D&D stuff. Borders. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, You know the Borders I'm talking about. (laughs) You could like walk in and they had the D&D section and you could pull out like every third and 3.5 edition book you could ever want in every like licensed flavor and you could buy miniatures and you could buy dice. Like I said, you can just walk into a Borders and buy one. There aren't Borders anymore. But this was like a huge, there was a huge resurgence in, in D&D. It was sort of, this was when it was becoming a lot more mainstream. Whereas um, first edition and it advanced D&D and second edition were sort of considered like niche nerd things back in the 80s. In the late 90s and early 2000s, there was this really big push to mainstream it. Something else I wanted to talk about is the difference between 3.5 and third edition, because you'll hear me talk about both of them. 
This that we're gonna play today is technically third edition, but 3.5 and 3.0 are extremely similar. 3.5 is actually just third edition with some different balance changes in the core system. Um, so while this one is based on 3.0, if it had been based on 3.5, there wouldn't have really been any major changes. I think 3.5 is usually considered the more common one. Um, and now if people play it, they almost always play 3.5 if they're playing a third edition variant. But third edition is not the most beginner friendly. Um, I will just go up and straight say that. Do we know what the differences are between 3.0 and 3.5? Oh, that's a good question. I should have looked it up before this, but no. Let me look it up and then okay. you can keep talking. With that in mind, how is 3.0 different than 5.0, which again, you've heard us play and is now the, the prevailing D&D? The biggest difference, in my opinion, is combat. The combat in 3.0 is way more nitty gritty. It's, it's a grid-based combat system, which you know how I feel about. There's a lot of modifiers and a lot of math. So it's much more like doing video game combat by hand than it is like fifth edition where you're sort of telling a story and then coming up with numbers behind it. This is much more like wargaming simulated combat. It's much more specific. Um, the basic flow does work the same, however. So there will be some really familiar stuff you hear here uh, with the combat. Another thing is that skills work really differently. So rather than having like backgrounds or you just say, I have this skill, you take skill point ranks that then act as role modifiers, which is a huge pain in the butt to keep track of. There's a ton of different skills. So even things like innuendo versus diplomacy or innuendo versus bluff, those are all different skills. Not all abilities are usable by all classes. And then some abilities you have to specifically rank into to use. So characters, for example, who don't have points in open lock can't even try to lockpick. Um, they have to have ranks in it in order to use that skill. So that can really stifle free gameplay which we'll talk about. There's some there's some interesting stuff about that too and that you have to really think about what character you're building. But I'm not a huge fan personally. We'll talk more about it. Another really big difference is that in items, everything has a weight, a cost, and then modifiers. So instead of saying like, you have, you know, thieves equipment, you have like a standard set. You have to be like, I have a lockpick and I have a bedroll and I have a water skin and I have, you know, I have a flute. You have to consider the penalties, the suitabilities for your class, the amount of money you have. You have to buy items with money specifically. All of that. It's, it's just a lot less streamlined. Your items are a really important part of managing your characters opposed to just kind of a side thing. I know that I make this example all the time, but I feel like it's actually a pretty good analogy. It's much more like Skyrim. Like if you have too many wheels of cheese, you're not going to be able to run. There, are, I don't think there's actually wheels of cheese in this game, but you know, you get the idea. Because 3.0 is really, really different than 5.0, um, it's still actually a, a very beloved system. There's lots of people who are our age um, or slightly older who um, who grew up playing this or played it in their teenage years and have a, a big fondness for it. But they find the nitty grittiness like an important part of the system and they really enjoy that. And so that means that there actually are a lot of digital resources if you want to play 3.5 in like the D&D universe or homebrew. There's good SRDs. There's a ton of resources answering all your questions. Um, you can definitely find information about how to do your own. So that's really, if this is something that interests you and you really like the like nitty grittiness of it, good news. There's lots of people still playing it. It still has an active player base. And so this is definitely a case where you can find useful resources. Uh, so I looked up really quick what the differences between 3.0 and 3.5 are. So for my own 
point of view, I thought it was just going to be like bigger game mechanic type changes, but it looks like they changed a lot. So I'm not going to be able to go into everything. It's just things like bars receive more skill points. Clerics are allowed to spontaneously cast cure and inflict spells of the mass variety. So like a lot of little class changes like that. Then there are actual skill changes, like really nitty gritty things like innuendo, which before was used to covertly pass messages along was rolled into the bluff skill. So there's things like that, feet changes, spell changes, they added a ton of spells, they removed a bunch of spells, <laughs> they renamed a bunch of spells. But so it sounds like the rules pretty much stayed the same and it was just a bunch of like balance updates. That's what it sounds like. Um, and then for reference to our viewers, you know, we can link this in the post once we eventually get the episode up. I just Googled it and this is just first RPG stack exchange comment I found. Uh, so for folks who are interested in maybe reading all of that, uh, we'll put a link to this in the uh, in the episode post. So now we've talked a little bit about what is like special about 3.0. How do you all feel about it? I know we haven't played it yet, but we've we've read the book. We've created characters. How do you all feel about working in 3.0 or 3.5? Okay, so I, I do just want to say like, we're going to complain a lot here, but that doesn't mean 3.0 <laughs> is like a bad game and you should just dismiss it offhand. It's just for a very different play style than we prefer. And there's just so much here. Like I think in this book, there are over 30 skills. And Ziva mentioned you have to take the skill point ranks, but there are half ranks. Like there are skills, if a skill isn't a class skill for you, it can be a cross class skill. And that means you have to have two ranks in the skill to get one point of bonus. And that is just like, it's a lot to keep track of, especially if you have 30 skills. And if you have a low intelligence, that's another thing I really don't like about this game is that intelligence determines how many skill points you get every level. So let's say you have, you know, a low or average intelligence and you're only getting eight skill points per level and you have to spread those out across 32 skills. It's difficult. It's tricky. And I, I much prefer the shorter skill list that 5.0 has. And you've even heard me talk about how much I like games with even shorter and more streamlined skill lists. It's just the way 3.0 is set up, it doesn't really allow for much improvisation and storytelling. Just based on imagination, you really do have to have the mechanics in place for everything. That's just a sticking point for me. The other thing that I think is really dumb after playing a lot of 5.0 is um, in 3.0, if you roll a natural 20 on an attack, it's not just a critical hit. You have to roll again to confirm your critical hit. And I think that's just silly. That's all I have to say about that. Wait, what? Why do you have to roll it to confirm it? What does that even mean? Yeah, there's there's crit confirmation. So if you roll a nat 20 on an attack roll, you hit regardless of the target's defense. Like, it's just an automatic hit. But then you have to roll another attack roll. And if that attack roll also hits, then you crit. And then you get to roll the extra damage. So what happens if you miss on your crit confirmation? Do you miss or does it just take a normal attack? I think you just do normal damage. Yeah. What's the point of that? That's so silly. <laughs> I know. It, I don't know the point, and it just seems less fun. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like they really focus on accuracy and detail over fun. Personally, I don't find accuracy and detail very fun. I like it when weird, spontaneous things happen. And I like being able to tell a story and focus on that versus focusing on the, the numbers behind it. And there's stuff like 
you get bonuses and penalties based on the size difference between you and what you're attacking. And there's just so much to keep track of during combat. I might be repeating myself because I've had this rant a lot. So I apologize if I've been redundant. I can't remember what I've said on this podcast versus other people versus what Dorka has possibly edited out as I just start yelling about things. (laughs) (laughs) So I think with how video games have kind of risen in popularity, maybe that has kind of affected how tabletop games have evolved as well because you know back in the day like you didn't have big massive role-playing games like Skyrim or you know any kind of MMO or Baldur's Gate and you know all that stuff we know Baldur's Gate which is based on uh Dungeon and Dragons stuff so I think maybe back then with like when 3.0 or you know D&D originally came out all this stuff you had to kind of make it more mathy, more crunchy, because you didn't have video games for, for that avenue. And so now that video games are an avenue for people to do this kind of more complicated stuff. And just as how tabletops have kind of grown and are now not seen as kind of like your boys club, nerdy, math crunchy bullshit, you know, like the indie space particularly has kind of streamlined a lot of uh, role playing game stuff where it's more narratively focused. But of course, you have your more crunchy things like Lancer, which is good it's, as we've said before comcon is amazing for helping you navigate through all of that whereas for this 3.0 book as ziva said there are no online resources there's no srds there's nothing to make this shit more accessible the pdf is not even like marked for like the pages you if you want to go to page 186 bitch you're scrolling to page 186 (laughs) where was i going with this I think it's fine to be like more crunchy and whatnot. Like that's cool. Um, like that's what West March's type games in fifth edition are. Um, for people who don't know what West March's is, is basically, you know, a lot of D&D games, you have your one group and you go off on your grand adventure with the plot and stuff. Whereas West March's tend to be more like you have a settlement in like some kind of undiscovered territory and you send out a group of players to go exploring and that is very much meant to be like more of a dungeon crawly experience uh with focus on combat and getting loot and stuff like that and like aspects of that are definitely totally fun it's definitely very cool and fun to manage your spells and whatnot and have fun with that video game aspect of DD Whereas with this, it's just like, it just seems like unnecessary math, which makes me frustrated on like a higher game design level. Because like when it comes right down to it, games, video games, whatever, it's just math with a skin on it. And so like a lot of this, like what what Dorka mentioned with like the crit and crit confirmation makes me mad because it's just like, what is the point of that? Like if I Googled it, I'm sure I could find an answer and maybe it would make sense. But I'm also just like on a surface level, anything you do in game design, it should be because it's for fun or because the game necessitates it to make the game fun. For instance, like the intelligence having skill points onto it is very silly and also ableist, you know, because it's like, one, what are you using as your definition for intelligence? That's kind of the ableist aspect of it. And also, too, it doesn't even make sense because even if you're saying, oh, this is like someone's like stupid or whatever, that doesn't mean they can't be good at like other things. Like you don't have to have like a fucking Harvard law degree to be able to climb a wall like, <laughs> or handle animals. Like it, there could be someone if we're talking on like a or IQ of fucking society contribution, like level of intelligence where someone is, is very smart and has lots of accolades. That doesn't mean they're better at handling an animal versus like someone who is 
like a high school dropout like that makes no sense and then on top of the cross skill stuff like what does that mean it's like for okay like one of these classes they can't learn animal empathy it's just like if you go to a grocery store and you have like your clerks and it's like oh well because this person is a clerk they can't learn animal empathy because they're a fucking grocery store clerk and it's like what does that even mean how does that make any fucking sense <laughs> they just really hate animals yeah yeah apparently <laughs> much of these classes just really hate animals yeah they just they have no empathy for animals they would see zen and be like you're you're just a literal fucking animal you literally said that earlier yeah in this know, podcast. Okay. <laughs> i have no animal empathy Actually, yeah, my class, uh, my class cannot learn animal empathy, so I guess that's right on the money for that. <laughs> but yeah, sorry, that was like a two minute long rant. But TLDR, you can make your games crunchy and have lots of math because it's cool to like math. Like, I'm bad at math, but I can understand why math is fun and useful. And if you put a really cool skin over it, math is super great and you can do it for fun. But this, like, nonsense bullshit where you bog down your mechanics with extra numbers and stuff just to make it more complicated like is that the point because that's that's silly and that's just there's no point to that that like why are you trying to make your game more complicated yeah the half ranks in the skills is really what gets to me you have to remember that you have half a point of the skill. Ugh. I see. And that's like the other thing is like, I can understand if, for instance, you know, whatever, like I already said, I think it's silly that a class can't learn animal empathy or something like that. But for instance, if you wanted to do a, a cross class skill, because it's like, I don't know, for whatever reason, why would you facilitate the ability to do half a point versus just being like, oh, if you want one point in this, you actually have to spend two points and and not facilitate a half a point because that doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know, if your class has a skill where you can, you don't have to spend double the points to invest into it. It's not like you can do, well, I'm going to put half a point in this so that I have one and a half points into it. Because like all these are modifiers on a dice. You don't have a half value on a dice that's silly (laughs) it's honestly kind of amazing that they didn't end up coming up with like half point dice that you could buy like here's your here's your new 3.0 dice because no one would luck motherfucker buy them they'd make everyone so mad (laughs) 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 and it's just i don't know like i'm sure i've more to to go on but just like kind of at a higher level my game design rant here is just like i am over fucking nerds just trying to make things more complicated because they think that's like cool or like more gamer like or whatever is just like make a game that everyone can play (laughs) just do that How hard is that? Just do it. You can add more rules if you want. Just make a game. You can play. People can play with their friends. Fuck. That's what a game is meant for. <laughs> I think this is, um, there's some huge advantages to playing an older game, um, especially an older licensed game. This is like the telephone version of D&D 3.0, but it really shows about how game design and thinking about role playing and tabletop games has evolved. Because you have something like Lancer, which is like super complicated. But even then, they tried their best to make it accessible by having things like CompCon that do their very best to do all the underlying math for you and help you figure out what things you can and what things you can't do. 
but also that Lancer is really appealing to like a very specific audience. Obviously, the Wheel of Time game is appealing to a specific audience, but D&D 3.0 is sort of trying to be everything for everyone. Like it's very crunchy, but also you can build cool characters and they can go on fun adventures, but also you better know what percentage cover you have and what size monster you're fighting. I just want to add uh, one thing for clarification, because my uh, partner is furiously typing at me right now. (laughs) Apparently one of the changes from 3.0 to 3.5 is they got rid of like the half rank thing. And for taking a skill that isn't on your class skill list, you just can't raise the rank unless you have two points. So you have to spend two points to get one skill point. Yes. Instead of just like you can raise it by half a rank at a time. That's much better. And that makes sense. That's literally what I was yelling about. So good good on them for putting that into 3.5. I will also add with that addendum, I apologize if I am yelling about things they have fixed in 3.5 because I don't know 3.5 rules. I'm a filthy casual. And if you throw a bunch of skills and numbers at me, my brain goes smooth and I'm not going to understand what you're, I'm not going to bother to learn it. So if I say something that's redundant, I do apologize because it's just because I don't know it. Yeah, basically, thank you to 3.0 and 3.5 for making tabletop games like popular and stuff. Like this game is our grandpa. A lot that exists out there now is because people, you know, played Dungeons and Dragons at some point in their life. But I'm glad I don't have to play 3.0 anymore. Yes, that's it. Exactly. (laughs) I am grateful to it and also done with it. I was thinking like you guys played this when you're like 13 or whatever. And I'm like, I would never subject a child to like, no, like (laughs) read all this shit and keep track of it. I'd be like, honey, we have video games. Go play a video game. (laughs) Well, I think even when we were when we were playing this at age 13, I don't think we had the most solid grasp of all of the rules. No, there were definitely things I've, I've never done. I was reading through this book and I was like, what? That's a rule? I've never done that. Never. I wouldn't expect anyone, let alone a child, to know every single rule for this. It's just like throwing a kid into a math class and giving them a textbook and then being like, okay, here's how you teach yourself math. Which like, yes, that is a valid way to learn math, but also a horrible way to teach someone. <laughs> yeah, it also, one of the things that 3.0 had going for it that actually was really, was really great was they had the super simple beginners set that had like, okay, here's like baby's first campaign. And here's how you do like the simplest, most stripped down form of combat. So as you get more experienced, you learn the additional rules. But at the beginning, it's like, here's how the grid works, but we're not going to talk about flat footed. We're not going to talk about cover. We're not going to talk about, but, 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 we're not going to talk about grenades. And that made it a lot easier to learn how to play. So that's how I learned how to play was using the like very, very stripped down version, um, which of course means that when I got the grown up version, I was like, no, I'm not doing all this. <laughs> um, so I'm doing my best for this podcast to like, you know, as like an educational tool to actually follow all the rules. Be forewarned that there may be some of them that I skip just because that's how I've always house ruled it. So um, I'm sorry if you're, if you're like a big 3.0, 3.5 player and you're like that's not how it goes i know probably i just uh bad habits die hard so now that we've talked a little bit about what the deal is with um, 3.0 and 3.5 let's go ahead and talk about what wheel of time is as a setting i'm gonna try and keep this brief because i think this could be a whole like multi-episode podcast in and of itself because oh boy do i have thoughts about wheel of time and those do exist also Yes, they do. There's some really wonderful Wheel of Time podcasts out there. But just like to orient people who aren't as familiar with this, Wheel of Time is sort of a a mid-fantasy. 
It's got magic that plays a really big role in the world. And there's things like unusual creatures, um, but it's more grounded and political. So it sort of lies halfway in between Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones. Um, so there's a lot of like magic and prophecy and destiny, but also a lot of like, who is the king? And do we start a war? And who should we ally with? Um, there's sort of a grand sense of good versus evil in terms of the storytelling of Wheel of Time. Something that you'll hear a lot is that magic is based on channeling, uh, which is basically drawing something called the one power from the true source. So you'll hear that a lot when we talk about the magic in the system. Almost all of the like races in Wheel of Time are human. Um, so rather than have a typical um, race system in this book, they instead break it down by nationality, which is actually a really cool way to handle it since it's basically just human and then um, characters called ogier, which are basically like smart ogres. One of the things about Wheel of Time that it makes it really special is that there are a ton of really strong female characters. But on the flip side of that, Wheel of Time can also be really gender essentialist. And so they spend a lot of time um, being like, all women are like this and all men are like this. And so it's kind of cool when they're like, all women are powerful and strong and they can do whatever they want. But there's also some negative stuff like all women are stuck up and bossy. It's also canonically not a super queer friendly universe. They definitely like flirt with some queer ideas, but none of the major canon characters are queer. Um, there's a lot of sort of queer baiting for lack of a better word. And again, this is too much to get into, um, but it's also an extremely binary universe. There really aren't trans characters. There really aren't non-binary characters. Um, and that's definitely true with the system as well. Um, magic is linked to gender in Wheel of Time. And so we're having to do some homebrew here because it's super binary. It's like male magic looks like this, female magic looks like this. Um, so there's some homebrew in here we're working with to make it a little more um, non-binary friendly and not so gender essentialist. So you will hear some of that. Um, don't at me. I know it's not canon. It's fanon. We're allowed to do what we want. We're having fun. There's also some problems that like sanity and madness play a major role in the story of Wheel of Time. And of course, people who are much smarter than me have written about how the concept of madness in fiction is, of course, really ableist. And so that's a problem with this universe as well. So we're not going to be doing a ton with madness, and we're going to try and make this a little more NB friendly with some homebrew stuff. But just something to keep in mind, if you're interested in Wheel of Time as a setting, um, and you have like a group that's uncomfortable with some of those themes, I would recommend that you pass on it or that you take some time to do some homebrew or some safety tools. So Robert Jordan was a brilliant world builder. One of the strengths of Wheel of Time and one of the things that is so cool about it is how detailed every different nation and culture is. And there's just some really creative stuff. And in my opinion, it's been a while since I've read it, but like he doesn't really rely on a lot of existing real world stereotypes. So everything is very creative, very well thought out, very detailed. But you know, as Ziva said, there is a lot of the gender stuff. And there's a lot of stuff in there where it's like, I'm sure Robert Jordan like thought he was being a really good feminist ally. But then you get stuff like, ah, yes, in this country, women are in charge and they are allowed to kill any man without penalty. And it's like, that's not really what we're going for with feminism. But you know, you're, you're trying. And there are definitely queer characters implied in the story. And then those same implications are erased by other canon sources. And that is very frustrating. I choose to ignore those other canon sources, and hopefully the show will do a little more right by those characters. 
Oh, I hope so. So even though there are obviously queer characters in the book, none of it is good queer representation. People will argue with me on that, but my opinion is that like the little representation there is does not count as good representation. Just based on what I've heard about what this book is like, it seems very much like a product of its times because uh, it comes off as very like second wave feminism, which was like this very kind of like the girl boss shit where it's like focused on the split between like men and women and whatever and, and less about how like sexism and whatnot affects all genders and all people and, and like kind of a focus on like intersectionality and stuff like that, which is a big thing that falls short of older types of feminism because they don't focus on like queer people or you know all, all the different kinds of identities that you could have that would be affected by like sexism and stuff like that that's just my thing because i don't know anything else about the book <laughs> the first book came out in 1990 okay and the last book came out eight years ago. And I guess uh, it's worth noting that the original author did pass away before finishing the series. And the last three books were written by author Brandon Sanderson, who is also a very well-known fantasy writer. And I think once Brandon Sanderson takes over, some of the female voices get a little more diverse. Though obviously it's based very firmly in Jordan's world and, and it was based on Jordan's notes as well. So you, there is still some of that generous essentialist in there. But if you're a Brandon Sanderson fan, at least the last couple are worth checking out. Though, again, like the transition between Jordan and Sanderson is another thing we could have like a whole episode uh, of a podcast about that is not this podcast. Yeah, just skip all the other books. Just start with the last three if you like <laughs> Brandon Sanderson. <laughs> I mean, you could do that. It would be hard. Yeah, you'd, you'd need to, to have some Wikipedia articles open, probably. There are also very good summaries available online. That's true. That's true. Absolutely. Yeah, I wow, this is this is uh, it's very hard for me not to be like, here's the order. You need to <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna stay focused. Yeah, I want everyone to everyone listening to this, like, we basically have two different sets of criticisms here. We have criticisms of the game as a 3.0 system. And then we have criticisms of Wheel of Time as a setting. And those two things aren't really related. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unfortunately, um, there, yeah, it's, it's two different sets of, of critique here. Probably we're gonna circle back more on the 3.0 side of things than the Wheel of Time side of things at the end, because pretty much our opinion of Wheel of Time going in is not going to change by playing the game. But yeah, those are two separate things. Um, we also do love both of them dearly. So we're talking more about the stuff that we have problems with versus the stuff that we love. But if we spent the whole time talking about all the stuff we loved about Wheel of Time uh, or about 3.0, then we would just be talking forever. <laughs> okay, so now that we have talked about, um, about Wheel of Time and about 3.0, why don't you all tell me a little bit about your characters and your experience with character creation? So... As I've mentioned, uh, I am not good with lots of words and numbers, and so this was a little bit of a struggle. I will be completely upfront in that I left this last minute because I thought I could, and that was a mistake. I should not have done that because there were a lot of Wheel of Time words that I did not understand, <laughs> and then also like some 3.0 fuckery where I was like, what the hell is going on? So don't be like me, don't overestimate yourself and think you're hot shit and can just pick up not entirely new system, but kind of a new system. But that goes back to what I was saying about game design being silly and not like uh, accessible, because I think it's very silly that I, as someone who has played games, their entire life uh, was struggling with some of this stuff because it's just that crunchy and I mm, just not a big fan of that but anyway that was a discussion about 15 minutes ago so I am not going to be able to know how to pronounce any of these words is, is that Kyrienen? Kyrienen. I think it's Kyrian. Is it? Is it Kyrian? Oh my god. So 
Nota bene for listeners. Uh, we're doing our best to pronounce all the Wheel of Time words. Most of them we know, some of them we don't. We are trying to uh, do our best to conjure our memories from the Wheel of Time glossary. But uh, again, please don't at me. Listeners, once again, I am the stand-in for the audience because I have done nothing with Wheel of Time. I asked Dorka what she was playing and I thought she had a stroke on the keyboard. <laughs> but no, that's just how the things are spelled. So Rill is going to be a wilder Kyrian. Is that how it's pronounced? Yes, Kyrian. Okay, and what that means is, so as Eva mentioned, most of the races are human. And so instead of picking your race, you kind of just pick a background, which is just like the culture you're from. And from what I can glean, they are are the noble type of culture they're like french noble type stuff yeah yeah they're they're like french nobles they're really into like political maneuvering and subtle discussion and tricks and uh they're very sneaky yes you know real's not very much a political type person but i lean in onto that kind of noble type background because they their home world is like a prestigious type a family name sort of um and then wilder is one of the magic classes and so it looks like there was a couple different magic classes but it's sort of just how each class learns magic. So like there's the initiates who get drafted or whatever into the the magic organization and there's the wilders who are like they're more like home learned, is that correct? Okay. Initiates are basically people who have formal schooling in magic and using the one power, while wilders are people who often don't even know they have the one power and kind of end up using their magic accidentally and basically either learn to control it or die accidentally. So really it's just it's like formal education versus self-taught. Okay. Yeah, um, and kind of for me, at least, uh, as Eva mentioned there, and Dorka mentioned, it's like the gender essentialist stuff, which is something I think we'll go into a bit more at, when we get into the world. So yeah, so kind of what helped me pick the class is because, as um, as the others have mentioned, there's the gender essentialist stuff, which is very tied into kind of how magic works, which we might get into sort of a little bit with the Wheel of Time lore, is there's like a source of magic and then it's like the women can tap into one side of the magic and then the men can tap into the other side of the magic and it felt like with the initiate type stuff since you get like drafted and are taught i feel like it'd be a little bit more difficult to kind of avoid that sort of gender stuff with real and i don't want to like make anyone uncomfortable or even like really play uh how i could have used their like assigned you know biological sex or whatever but i didn't want to do that so that's why i picked wilder which is kind of like they can just exist with magic which is much less awkward for i think everyone to listen to and also for myself to play and as far as i can tell they kind of seem like the sorcerer equivalent in this game which i think fits and then for magic i guess you have to pick like an affinity like a like an element you're kind of like tied to i guess that's kind of like another thing which I might get into a little bit. I'm not sure how I feel about magic in this system because, you know, you have your spell slots or whatever, but you also have your affinities and it's like each spell will have a different affinity, which is like fire, air, earth. What are the other affinities? Water and spirit. Water and spirit. Okay. Yeah. So elemental stuff. Yeah, and so, like, to cast X spell, you need to have an infinity in either, you know, water, air, or fire, or something like that. Maybe not those exactly. And it's like, if you don't have any affinities with those, then you have to cast it at a spell slot higher, which I'm not a fan of, because it's like, I pick spirit, and, like, spirit was very 
focused on a t- class of spells that I felt like would not make me very useful in combat. <laughs> so I basically had to pick a feat that also gave me another affinity just so that I wouldn't fuck myself over spell slot wise because otherwise a lot of the spells I'd be casting I'd have to cast at a spell slot higher. And then for skill wise, I think I kind of messed this up a little bit because I hadn't realized you can't use something at all if you didn't put a point to it. So just like make it easier on myself, I just like basically capped everything that I could, which is at level three, the highest we can go is six points or three if you're if it's a cross class thing. So there's going to be a lot of stuff real cannot do in this world. Just all of a sudden they can't they feel no empathy towards animals, I guess. (laughs) And then I guess another thing to mention is like apparently wilders have a thing called a block which is like they have to have some kind of emotional conduit in order to use their magic and this was kind of another like thing that was unfortunately tied into gender where it was like male characters can learn this feat at level one or something but female characters can't (laughs) they have to wait till level three you know how women are so emotional (laughs) (laughs) oh god yeah and so i mean luckily you know we start at level three so i didn't have to worry about that um but also i just from like a role play standpoint like that could be fun but also like that just seemed annoying to be like real has to feel a certain way to use any kind of magic because because one, I have to roleplay that, and two, I'm just like, what emotions would they even feel? Because like most of the time, they're like they get like hyphy and stuff. But like in the book, it specifically called out. It was like, oh, if you need anger as your block, then you like have to feel like genuinely angry. And it's like real is never genuinely feeling anything. So they, it's like, oh, guess they just can never cast magic. So canonically, that's like a sort of defense mechanism, basically, because like untrained channeling like is very dangerous. And so basically, it's someone who doesn't know that they can use this magic develops a block as sort of a defense mechanism. So they're not just like channeling magic all over the place by mistake. Right. So I think it, I think it's an interesting flavor thing, but maybe a little more uh, complicated in a game that is supposed to be for funsies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So on that note, um, we are in fact starting at level three. And the reason that we're starting at level three is because 3.0 is not friendly to level one characters. You can literally have like four HP and like a couple of spells. You get a very little amount of starting money. So like, it's very possible that you can have a character who like can't do anything has almost no HP, is using like the worst armor for them, and has like a dagger and two spells. It is definitely better to start later unless you have um, a campaign where you're purposely trying to be like, okay, and now you're going into the basement and you're fighting like three rats for level (laughs) one, and then level two you get, you know, this, and then level three, um, you know, you start getting more powerful. You know the format of this podcast, so we're starting at level three for this one. Yeah, like, just to add to that, as a magic type class, my hit die will be, you know, a little bit lower. It's a d6, which I think, like, the lowest is probably, like, a d4 or something like that. So a d6, not that much of HP, and of course I rolled, like, dog shit on top of that, so I have 12 HP at level three. Oh no. I am ready to die. (laughs) So, yeah, so that'll be interesting is there anything you guys think i should touch on like magic casting wise or do you think i should just get into that while when we're in the episode and like actually playing i think probably we'll get into it in more detail when we're in the episode and actually playing okay then yeah that's kind of everything i have i think any of the actual nitty-gritty spell casting stuff hopefully we'll be able to touch on in the actual play portion if i don't die immediately from a basement full of rats knock on wood that is not where ziva is starting us (laughs) this is just rats and rocks the sequel (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) 
All right, so Zen in this universe, uh, there is nothing like her, as we mentioned before. Almost everything is human, but I am playing an Aeol, which is basically a tall ginger desert ninja. They have a lot of emphasis on, like, honor, and they're very... They're a warlike honor culture. Basically, the best thing that they can do in combat is to touch their opponent with their weapon and not actually kill them. That's, like, how you get the most badass points. That's the background. Wait, hold on. What do you mean, touch them with your weapon? Like, tap them with your spear without actually killing them. Like a boop. But how does that hurt them in any way or defend yourself in any way? They really only do this against other IELs. It's it's like flag football. Someone hits you with their spear, you're like, okay, I guess I'm out. So what happens if you have a quote-unquote flag football player, a flag football team, and they're playing against like an actual NFL team? Do they just get murdered or like... Oh no, they're very good at murdering. Yes, they're very good at murdering. But they're not allowed to. They are allowed to. You just get like, um, they have like honor points. This is real. This is in canon. They get like honor points. And so if you're fighting against other Aiel and you just, you just flag them out, basically, you get more honor points versus killing a bunch of other non-Aiel. They assume that non-Aiel are basically less honorable and not going to fight that way. And so they, you know, fight to kill instead. Okay. That's when they pull out their gun. And they're like, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Okay. Go on. I just needed to uh, understand what that was. <laughs> but so um, the background is Aiel. The class is Algai de Siswai, which is the game doesn't make it Aiel exclusive, but pretty much all Algai de Siswai are Aiel. And I guess the best way to describe that mechanically is it's a spear wielding monk. They have a lot of emphasis on moving quickly, dodging. They're completely unarmored. Like, they lose a lot of their bonuses if they wear any armor. And using spears. And so Zen has a lot of strength and a lot of dexterity. The class skills are things like climb and jump and a lot of stealthier type things. So it's kind of interesting because they're like part rogue, part monk, part fighter, which was a really interesting class to try and balance my ability scores on because pretty much all of the skills were really important, which is why I have a wisdom of seven with a modifier of negative two, because first of all, I rolled really badly. And second of all, I did need to put my higher scores into more important things. The cool thing about this class is at level three, I just get a plus five bonus to my defense by being unarmored. And I think that's really cool. I really love the Aiel in the lore, and I think the game does a good job of adapting the class into a fun and interesting class to play that's pretty unique to this game. It's not really much like anything in the regular D&D game. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's very, very unique. And also the name Algai de Siswai is like peak fantasy bullshit. I love it so much. There are two apostrophes in there. Yeah, two apostrophes. It's italicized. It, it's beautiful. Like chef's kiss. It has to be italicized too? Pretty much any word that is the old tongue in the game is italicized. In uh, the common tongue, it means dancers of the spear. Interesting. Okay. But they have old-fashioned fantasy bullshit fancy language. Nice. Which is wonderful. 
like Kyrian, which is spelled C-A-I-R-H-I-E-N-E-N. This is why I struggled, listeners, with saying that word, because I was like, what the f- I- Kyrian? <laughs> Before we um, did this podcast, we showed Bappy a bunch of names of characters in the Wheel of Time and asked them to try and pronounce them. Sorry, that was Dorka's idea. No, it's it's fine. <laughs> I'm going to struggle a lot. Here's a fun exercise, listeners. How do you think naive is spelled? <laughs> You're wrong. I, it doesn't matter what you wrote. <laughs> so now that uh, we've talked about our characters, anything else that you guys want to touch on before we move on to uh, to our actual play? I just want to talk about Wheel of Time, but I'm going to keep it in. I'm going to bottle it up. <laughs> I feel like uh, maybe we should have like a bonus episode where it's just you and me talking about Wheel of Time and then Bappy trying to figure out whether what we're saying is real or not. That'd be really funny. <laughs> that would be that would be a lot of fun. Like two truths and a lie, Wheel of Time edition. Yeah, exactly. Because you can just make up any old bullshit about Wheel of Time to someone who's not hyper familiar with the canon because there's a lot of weird bullshit in there. I'm just going to say one thing. This is true. Dragon riding cowboy samurai. <laughs> yes, that one is true. Okay, well, I want that. How do I be that class? <laughs> <laughs> Alas, that's, uh, that's not an option. That's actually my dream campaign is running Wheel of Time where the players are from that country. But that is that's not in this base book. Yeah, it's kind of like the game where it was like, is this a Stephen King title or is this a Dolly Parton song or something like that? It might have <laughs> been country songs in general, but you guys can do that with me. Is, is this Wheel of Time or is this just stupid bullshit we just made up to fuck with you? <laughs> yeah, that would be a pretty fun game. <laughs> all right, so now that we've had our discussion, are you all ready to, to jump back into the library? Let us go. Yeah. All right. After returning from your last mission, things have fallen into the now familiar routine of a few quiet weeks while you anticipate your next mission. Although this pattern has now become common for you, there's still plenty happening in the library to avoid things becoming too routine. For one, you've started to notice more familiar faces around the library. Some of them are archivists that you've seen at book club, sometimes they're just people who you've passed a couple of times in the hallway, and of course, you do keep an eye out for Desdemona, who seems to have fully recovered from whatever happened on your last mission. After that last mission, Linda has decided that maybe she should polish up some of her non-diplomatic skills. So she realized that she did actually secretly enjoy the feeling of power that comes with driving a giant robot. So she has decided to start spending some time working out with Zen in the gym in the hopes that maybe, just maybe, she can learn to harness some of that feeling when she is not in a robot. What have Zen and Rill been up to? Rill has been like thinking about this whole thing that happened with Desi and like how weird and fucked up it was. And they have just been like taking in all kinds of multiverse-esque media, which like you would think they would already be doing that because of the nature of their existence right now. But they've just been watching and reading and playing a lot of things that have stuff to do with like alternate realities and stuff. <laughs> Because they're just like, what is going on? Like, what the fuck was that with Desi? Oh my god. <laughs> I like how research for real is playing video games. Oh yeah, 100%. I mean, like, they tried to crack open an astrophysics book, and they were like, nope. Or theoretical astrophysics with, like, different universes and stuff. But that's not their field of science. So they tried, but it was a little bit out of their depth like or they were out of their depth i guess <laughs> well uh zen is more than happy to help linda work out 
But I think Zen has also decided, after Linda's recent interest in being dangerous and Rill's completely embarrassing display during 13th Age. Wow! (laughs) Buddy, you kept grabbing the blade instead of the handle. But in the end, Rill was able to do things. (laughs) In any case, in light of that, Zen has started hosting weapons training. So Linda's going to learn to use a sword, whether she wants to or not. And hopefully Rill will also improve. Okay, but who teaches Zen how to use a gun? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't think Zen knows guns exist. She saw guns in Sweetgrass. I don't think there were guns. We had a flamethrower. Oh, Linda had a shotgun. Yeah. Yeah, and you guys walked into an armory. So even if you, like, Zen didn't use a gun, um... You saw guns. (laughs) That's true. Okay, so she does know guns exist. And I guess she watched y'all with your giant robots shooting missiles and lasers and all that bullshit, so. That's true. Yeah, what was Zen's reaction to all of that? (laughs) She thought it was the coolest thing she'd ever seen, but she was also kind of overwhelmed. (laughs) That's that's valid. She just assumes that it's all magic. Oh, yeah, in a way. (laughs) (laughs) I guess if you've seen enough magic missile, missile's not that different. (laughs) A magic missile versus a missile missile. (laughs) But you know what? Like, shooting a a laser or a gun probably just doesn't have that same primal feel as, like, swinging a fucking greatsword around. I think that's still her preference. If she's gonna kill someone, it's gonna be up close and personal. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) Linda is totally into going to sword fighting class, and she actually really enjoys it. But she's not sure about the idea of actually using a sword on somebody too much. I know that she has fought people, but I think probably she'd be a little nervous about murder. Yeah, I don't know if Rill would want to take place in this class. They will come in and be like a cheerleader with Dumpling. Dumpling has a little um, little pom-poms now, and they will cheer you all on. I do just want to remind you that Linda once threw a dagger into the back of a retreating enemy. Oh, she sure did. Well, but she didn't know it was going to kill them. Well, now that you've had weapons training, you know what will and will not kill someone. Yeah. yeah, so so now Linda's nervous about it, because now she's aware that she has the capability to just straight up murder a dude. <laughs> yeah, and now we all know that you cannot do non-lethal range damage, so... <laughs> sure cannot. That was an important lesson. That's the most important lesson, I think. <laughs> and the price we paid was that all of us are, except for Zen, I guess, are a little bit scarred, a little, a little bit of trauma. <laughs> Yeah, just a little traumatized. <laughs> well, for real, more than a little traumatized. <laughs> yeah, but real came in with trauma. That's true. That's true. So as expected, in the midst of your downtime, one day your journals light up with a new mission. The mission says, rendezvous with Leda Sedai, retrieve anomaly. What do you do? You know what? Zen's a little late this time. She's not the first one to show up at the book trough like she normally Aww. is. Oh, shit. Okay, so I think maybe Rill would show up first then. I think they were just hanging out, maybe in their room reading a book. Um, or they have like the Pepe Sylvia like whiteboard with all the red lines, like uh <laughs> from like all the different like a bunch of photos and like question marks and they're just like trying to figure out how like alternate reality cells work or like they've been thinking a lot more than they usually do. <laughs> Has Desi seen this whiteboard? Because that was kind of, uh... That was her thing. I guess I'd have to ask Genevieve, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, Rill would wander into the book drop with uh, Dumpling on their back. And upon seeing that, like, neither Linda nor Zen are here, they would just kind of, like, look around, like, really lost 
and confused looking, even though they've wandered around here before, and it's the library. Like, if you want to go to the book drop, you're at the book drop, but they're just like, oh god, am I in the wrong universe? <laughs> so I feel like Linda would get there next. Because as soon as she notices the change in her journal, she stops working out. She's been on the treadmill because she wants to get her cardio better so she can swing bigger and more powerful swords for longer. Unfortunately, she notices with some disappointment that it adds Sir as anchor for this mission. She was kind of excited about non-lethally using her sword, like showing off. However, she dutifully heads down to the book drop and she smiles brightly at Rill and pulls up her favorite chair and spreads out some of her uh, surplus goodies that she always has on hand. So I think Rill might be a little bit paranoid, not really for any good reason. Um, it's just that they've been kind of stuck in their head about all this parallel universe stuff. And so they would kind of look at Linda and be like, are you a different Linda or are you this world's Linda? Oh, you know me. I think I think there's only the one Linda. But regardless, I, I brought baked goods. I'm not doing any tricks. So it's fine. It's Don't worry about it. I guess that's true. I mean, if you really think about it, if there are like 10 Lindas, but they are all exactly the same in demeanor, is there anything that's really wrong? And they would take a cookie and like start munching on it thoughtfully. You know what? I think we actually need a safe word just in case. And at this point, Zen finally arrives. It's been like a solid 10 minutes since Rill's gotten there. She rushes into the room to join the others, kind of out of breath, like she hurried. Like, she kind of knew she wouldn't be the first one, but she was still hoping to be. And uh, for once, she is unarmed. Rill looks at this Zen with so much suspicion. They are just like, who are you? And she says, I don't think that's what a safe word is. Uh, no, <laughs> but... Okay, well, we should come up with a safe word now, because even if you're a new Zen and we just lost the old Zen, at least we can continue to keep this Zen and Linda and myself and not lose any more Zen, Lindas, and myself in the future. So sorry to old Zen if this is not old Zen. Hello, current, present Zen, who is now old Zen. Buddy, are you okay? I don't know. Linda's completely overwhelmed. Like, she saw what happened last time, but she's totally overwhelmed by contemplating the fact that there might be multiple copies of any of you, and so she's just gonna ignore it. <laughs> That's a valid coping mechanism. It gives her existential dread. Yeah, so... We need a safe word. We need a word that only we all know, and so that we can use it to confirm our identities in case anything happens, like with the evil Desi thing, because we don't know how that happened. I mean, like, oh my god, and then would just curl up on the chair and pull the hoodie over their head and just pull the strings <laughs> so it covers their face. <laughs> yeah, but I think you mean a uh, a code word, not a safe word. Yeah, I mean, aren't they? They're basically the same thing. <laughs> Linda blushes. She secretly read Fifty Shades of Grey once, so she knows what a safe word is, but is deeply embarrassed about it. She also gives Rill a pity pat on the shoulder. You use a safe word to know you're safe, so I need to know that I'm safe around you guys and that you're not evil alternate universe plants from wherever like what is evil desi here are there like other copies of ourselves in the library and we just haven't like seen them or are they like completely from different i think that's enough thinking about things for one day where are we going where were you why were you're usually here where's your who are you hey linda where are we going linda definitely listens to zen and gives real like a reassuring smile but 
also like kind of like teachers do like, okay, we're going to focus on something else now. And she pulls up a page in her journal, which has a map of like a mountain range. And it says the Westlands on the top. And she says, well, uh, according to the journal, you're heading to a place called the Westlands going to be meeting up with a woman named Lita Sedai. Uh, and it looks like you're looking for something that's sort of a pocket watch, but not a normal pocket watch. And she turns and shows you a picture of your presumed anomaly. Is it like a Swiss army watch with like a bunch of like knives coming out of it or? Ooh, that would be nice. <laughs> I think it's more like a, like the tacky steampunk costume equivalent of a watch, which is that there's just gears everywhere. Okay. <laughs> just all over the place. And it's got some trees carved on, like, the outside, the face. Very, very aesthetic. I like it. I think Rill is just suspicious of both of you, because it feels like they're not being crazy, but you guys are acting like they're being crazy, and they are suspicious, but they don't say anything. Rill, would it make you feel better if we chose a word? Yes. We could go with, um, with Garfield? That's hard to guess. I feel like if there, I mean, that's Garfield's kind of your thing. So I feel like any other Linda would be able to know about Garfield. Like that's part of who you are. That's like an essence of your soul. How about, and Zen looks like she's been thinking real hard about this. Dumpling. Um, hmm. Actually, I think that is a good safe word because dumpling is not part of us. I just found dumpling at a doorway. Dumpling is. Yes. They certainly are. So dumpling will be our safe word. Dumpling is not paying attention to any of this. They are just nomming away on cookies on the desk right now. Linda realizes that she has a couple of packs sort of that have appeared behind her chair. And so she hands one to each of you and says, this looks like about all I have. The map, which hopefully is in your journal, uh, the picture, the name of your contact, and then these bags. Do you all need anything else before you go? Extra snacks, a hug. Will we both have all of our appendages? Yeah. Are we going to turn into humans again? Do you know? I don't know. Uh, it looks like your contact is a human. So... Uh, that doesn't seem like good news. I don't know. Humans are everywhere. That doesn't mean anything. That's true. We've seen a lot of humans. The multiverse is just lousy with humans. They're an infestation, honestly. <laughs> and uh, she feels slightly offended by what <laughs> Zen is saying. Real kind of looks at Zen and is just like, what? Don't you just think it's kind of weird that every universe we go to has humans, but none of them have whatever you are? Uh, a tiefling? We've seen those. There was that, uh, that mean one in the camp. Yeah, the one Linda murdered. Oh yeah, you're right. I didn't, I didn't mean well, to. Well, how come there's never any of, uh, whatever I am? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's true. That is messed up. I, I mean, it is strange that there's so many humans, but that's nothing bad against humans, I think. Unless humans, like, killed everyone else, then that's bad. But if it's just, like... No, no, it's fine. Some of my best <laughs> friends are humans. <laughs> Zen's just a little flustered from being late to the party and is kind of uncharacteristically hyphy to uh, draw attention away from that. But it's not working. It's not working because it just makes Rill more suspicious of her. <laughs> Rill would look in the bag. It's full of the things on your character sheet. Okay, that's nothing new and exciting. <laughs> Sorry. A dagger and $10. Uh, yeah, dagger and $10. That's also what Rill's parents sent them off with for summer camp. <laughs> oh, I'm just what kind of summer camp was that? <laughs> they don't like to talk about it. <laughs> is it like one of those wilderness survival camps? It's good for you. 
Go and dig some holes. I said that as a joke, but actually I think they might have at one point tried to send Rill off into like a Hunger Games-esque like summer camp. No. Well, that's dark. I mean, no one died, but like, yeah, they just sent kids in in the wilderness to try to toughen them up and Rill was probably traumatized. That's the trauma we talked about. <laughs> one of many. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, uh, yeah, Rill would keep the bag open and have Dumpling hop in and then put it on and then start heading to the gateway. Zen, are you going with? Oh, absolutely. Zen is, is making up for it now and she's gonna kind of like power walk a little bit to try and beat Rill through the uh, book drop. <laughs> you don't have to try very hard. <laughs> <laughs> the familiar giant bookcases loom over you as you step into the void that allows you to travel between universes. As before, you feel that suffocating feeling. A deep, dark something that is all-encompassing, as you travel from the library to whatever far-flung place now holds an anomaly. In the Age of Legends, the Dark One was locked away in his prison by the dragon and the Aes Sedai, but in retaliation the Dark One tainted Sidene. This taint drove the dragon and all male channelers to madness, causing the breaking of the world and the dragon's own destruction. Prophecy foretells that one day the dragon will be reborn to help defeat the Dark One once again, but will cause a second breaking of the world. The Aes Sedai, a now all-female organization, try to keep the world in order, but are deeply distrusted and viewed by many as meddling and dangerous. People whisper that there are signs that the Dark One is beginning to break out of his prison, that it is only a matter of time until the dragon is reborn. But powerful forces are at work to prevent such a man rising to power. The Red Aja, an Aes Sedai organization dedicated to preventing dangerous use of the One Power, the Children of the Light, a military organization dedicated to stamping out evil and witchcraft, and even the Dark One and his minions themselves. When you open your eyes, finally in your new location, you find yourselves on a dirt road rutted by countless wagons passing through. And that's where we'll pick up next time, here on the Eternity Archives. Bored of D&D? Want to try something else? Why not check out Control Group? We test systems so you don't have to. Using our patented mini-campaigns along with one-shots, we test how far you can stretch systems with our unique ideas and broad storytelling. Our mission statement is to give a voice to those not often heard in the TTRPG community. So whether it be a system you've never heard of, or our testers being people of color, people on the LBGTQIA spectrum, we want to make sure our stories are broad, vast, and told from different perspectives. So whether you want classic role-playing or just big goofs, come listen to us try out systems, some of which we've even made ourselves. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, or head over to controlgrouppod.com. That's CTRL, just like the key on your keyboard. There you can find the systems we test along with easily accessible PDFs. So check us out if you're into Monster of the Week, Passion Dallas, Passionist, oh, Saw of Fire and Ice, Blazers and Feelings, Gunsight, Void Worlds, Wizards and Wands, Stranded, Interstitial, The Last Shonen, and so much more! The Eternity Archives is hosted, produced, and edited by Dorka, Bappy, and Ziva. Find us on Twitter at, at TheArchivesPod or online at TheEternityArchives.com. Our intro music is Paint the Sky by Hans Adam and sound effects are obtained from zapsplat.com. Check out our show notes for more information and some helpful resources. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Eternity Archives on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. Consider supporting us by telling your friends about us, or leave us a tip at our Ko-fi page, ko-fi.com slash theeternityarchives. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. 
Be gay. Roll dice. An LGBTQIA actual play podcast network.